Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be an interesting episode. We are kind of doing a joint uh, podcast with John Stallone of Interviews with the Hunting Masters Big Game Hunting Podcast. And for those of you that don't know John, he lives here in Arizona as well as I do. And uh, we have several friends in common and such. And uh, uh, we're going to do a discussion on the Arizona uh, Desert Bighorn Sheep season. Uh, John had a tag himself uh, here in Arizona that he had drawn and he was able to harvest a uh, sheep with his bow. And uh, I had a general season hunter uh, that hunted in unit 15D. And uh, he was also a bow hunter from Texas and was able to harvest his ram with a bow as well as we're going to talk uh, about the auction desert bighorn sheep hunt uh, that Dar and I uh, were privileged to partner and uh, guide the hunt with Arizona Desert Outfitters. Uh, and we're going to just talk sheep in general, talk some other hunts, a uh, little bit of coos deer. So this is going to be a great episode. I want to thank you guys for your support of my podcast. And I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider and remind you guys that it's application season, that GoHunt.com Insider has just released the true Arizona draw odds uh, with the new 5% uh, rule uh, change. Uh, the odds have, have been skewed a little bit. Uh, all you have to do to see those draw odds is be a GoHunt Insider member for $149. Uh, when you sign up using the J. Scott promo code, you automatically get a $50 Kuyu gift card. Also, they've got great stuff coming with the New Mexico. They're going to break down the non-resident uh, draw per hunt. Um, and they've, they've got some other great stuff they're working on uh, to be released here soon. So uh, check them out. I also want to thank PhoneScope. They make uh, digiscoping adapters. They adapt a phone uh, to uh, optics, binoculars, spotting scopes. Uh, the best on the market out there, really easy to use. If you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you get a 10% discount. Uh, also, the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, uh, Cody and his crew there uh, at the Outdoorsman's. If you uh, order anything online, outdoorsmans.com, use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount. You can also go into the store uh, in Phoenix or call 1-800-291-8065. Use the J. Scott promo code, get a 10% discount there at the Outdoorsman's. Uh, and also real game calls, uh, real game calls. You heard me talk about elk season, uh, the elk reel. Uh, they're just about, uh, well, they're actually launching their buck reel and turkey calls, uh, the turkey reel. Uh, so real game calls, you actually get a 20% discount uh, using the J. Scott promo code. Uh, let's get right to this episode with John Stallone and uh, check out his podcast if you haven't. Guys, thanks for your loyal support. If uh, you want to send me uh, any questions or comments, you can reach me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow along Instagram or uh, jscottoutdoors uh, Facebook. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, today we got a special podcast. Um, I have Jay Scott on the line and... You know, Jay has uh, a very popular Western game podcast, and we're kind of doing a, a dual podcast here. Uh, Jay is going to air this on his podcast, and uh, and I'll be airing it on mine, of course. And we're just gonna we we both just came out of sheep um, sheep camp, basically, and I had my own personal sheep hunt, and of course, Jay is one of the premier guides for sheep here in Arizona. And 
he had uh, had some clients and stuff like that, so we're going to share a little bit of our experiences and uh, go from there. So, how you doing, Jay? Doing good, John. How are you? I'm great, man. I just uh, been spending the last eight days trying to kill myself a mule deer here in Arizona in the postseason. Are uh, they rutting having, yet? You know, a little bit. Yeah, it seems like the none of the really, really big bucks have does yet, but the younger guys are definitely uh, pushing does around and and trying to make something happen. The big guys are smart enough to know that those does aren't ready yet, but. Uh, yeah. There's definitely some. Darn. You see them cruising for sure. Dar and I just so. got back from our first trip in Mexico in Sonora chasing coos deer, and we basically had zero rutting activity. I say zero. Um, a few bucks, guys reported seeing just a few bucks, you know, at the right time chasing a few does, but um, virtually very little activity, no rutting hardly at all. Which is, which is to be expected. Um, and, you know, we've had warm weather. I mean, here it is the 8th of January, and it's, you know, 74 degrees. I mean, I wore short, uh, shorts to church this morning. It's uh, 74 degrees. And, and um, you know, for those deer to really be active, what I've found is, you know, you've got to have those colder temperatures. Not that they won't rut. Yeah. I mean, when it's full swing rut, they're going to rut no matter what. But, of course, um, seems like if, you know, if the weather right now was, you know, in the low 50s in the mornings, it was, you know, high 20s, 30s, I'll bet you would have a lot more deer um, chasing mm-hmm. does for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now, the coos deer, I noticed, were rutting pretty hard. Uh, we were down south, um, close to the border. Uh, I took my uncle hunting uh, on his first coos deer hunt uh, on the 27th of December. He had that late season tag. And, uh, man, that they were chasing, they were fighting, breaking yeah, trees. I mean, they were all over I, the place. Yeah, I mean, you probably got some of that same weather that we did. And I think the further north you are, we found, you know, the, the rut in Arizona, speaking about coos deer, it seems like the rut in Arizona starts a lot sooner than it does when you get, you know, south of the border and, um, you know, historically, those deer in Sonora rut all the way, and, and, you know, the further south you go in Sonora, down by Hermosillo, I mean, they rut on into February. Like, the, the biggest deer I ever killed, coos deer, um, you know, I was hunting, I, I hunted two weeks, but the, the last week was the first week of February, and the deer mm-hmm. just finally started rutting. So, I mean, I think um, where you're at geographically um, ha- has a lot to do with, you know, the, the deer rutting or not, for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's across the United States, so the further north you go, the earlier the rut starts, typically. Yeah. typically. Yeah. Um, just like just like in Arizona, when you get these central Arizona units, you know, some of these 6As and 22s and 23s, even 21 for that matter, speaking about coos deer, you know, they're going to rut a lot of times, you know, a week to 10 days. They'll even be showing signs a week to 10 days before some of the southern Arizona units. Um, One of the things that's so unique about some of the southern Arizona units is you've got, you know, desert floor deer all the way up to, you know, Mount Lemon. You've got 8,000 feet, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so within within those, you know, those same units, you could have deer rutting at different times. But, you know, January January for bow hunters um, here in Arizona is a great time because, you know, you can get out and chase 
uh, coos deer or mule deer with your bow and, and, and have pretty much the whole month and have, you know, decent running uh, mm-hmm. the whole month depending on where you go. Yeah, very true, very true. I, um, it's funny, you just made me think of something because you were, when you said, that, uh, when you were saying what you were saying, I was thinking to myself, don't say that, Jay, because you're going to make more, more hunters hunt in January. <laughs> the reason why I thought that was because I was sitting there in my spot yesterday, um, not yesterday, the day before, and I was thinking to myself that I hunted in this area for 20 years and I never, ever, ever saw a guy toting the bow around. And now it's like a zoo. You know, there's guys on every point looking in every direction. It's just, it's become crazy. Like you'd see them every once in a while. You see a couple guys in December because they didn't fill the rifle tag or whatever, but never in January. Like even down south too. Like, you know, I hunted for years uh, along the border and never ran into a soul. Never ran into a soul out there. Now it's like, 36C, 36B, you know, 34, just guys everywhere, everywhere. And just, and you never saw them down there, not in January. Again, you know, December you'd see them just because guys are trying to get a last crack at it. But the mentality was so um, rifle-driven for so long, like, oh, you know, I don't want to go shoot just any old buck with my bow in January when I can draw a good rifle tag, you know. And I think now it's just, it's just kind of like a tribute to how popular archery has become. Well, you know, I, I think I, the equipment, you know, the, the equipment's gotten so much better that, you know, guys that don't shoot all year can actually be efficient with their bow and, and not have to practice every day. I think archery has grown, mm-hmm. you know, the equipment has gotten so much better that, you know, virtually anybody that has half a brain can pick up a bow and, you know, become fairly proficient with it, and I think that has a lot to do with it. And, and quite frankly, I think some of the, you know, the units, you know, it being a challenge to draw tags and such, I just think, you know, the popularity of the sport, um, I, I think social media, too, is, is yeah, uh, partially responsible, right you know, because, um, y- you know, it's just become a real social thing. And, you know, the, there's pros and cons. Um, certainly when you show up in your spot and there's, you know, 15 other people, uh, you know, you, it makes you think that, you know, what the heck, why are all these people in my spot? But, um, yeah, well, you not know, our, not your spot. But yeah, yeah. It, and <laughs> exactly. So it's like, you know, they may be saying the same thing about you. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it goes yeah. both ways. I think, I think, For sure. you know, you can hunt during the week and stay away from the weekends and not hunt the weekends at all and probably have a much better chance to have, um, the, you know, the desert to yourself. Um, that's, but you know, what I did. not everybody, yeah, not everybody can take off and hunt during the week too. So it, uh, yeah, yeah, that's for I, sure. I, I, I very rarely hunt Saturday, Sunday. Very, very, yeah. very rarely. I think Arizona has a very unique opportunity in the fact that we can actually, you know, we're one of the few states that you can actually chase deer for a full month during the rut. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's a very, very unique opportunity. And if you play your cards right, you can draw javelina tags. You know, if you if you plan ahead of time and have javelina tags in the same unit where you're chasing deer, so it becomes a multiple bag um, hunt. And you know, for a lot of people, even from for out of staters, that can be, you know, the perfect scenario to get out of the, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the 
15 below temperatures to come down to Arizona where, you know, when it gets below 60, we start putting on sweaters. Yep, yep. No, for sure. And, you know, the really cool thing about it is, you know, everybody's always, oh, you know, looking for a spot to hunt or whatever. There really is no bad units. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's places a, to go. Obviously, there's a lot of units that are better than others, but they're really, I mean, you can find trophy class or even respectable deer in every single unit, at least every one that I've ever been to. I, and I've hunted a lot in the state, uh, as I'm sure you have as well. Um, and, and I think that's cool because almost all the units are open, you know, and I, I think it does give you an opportunity to get away from the crowds and stuff like that. You know, it's tough when you're hunting here close to town or whatever. Uh, you're going to run into people. You know, there's people yeah. everywhere. But, um, no, it's it's cool. I, I love January. I look forward to it all year long. I, I It's kind of a bittersweet thing because I know it marks the end of the season for me, typically. Sometimes I hunt into February. Like this year, I'm going to Alabama the uh, the first week of February to hunt some whitetail because they got a late rut there as well. Um, but, uh, you know, typically January ends, and it's kind of like ends my season and I start getting a little depressed because I know I don't do any hunting in the spring. That's kind of my pact with my wife. Uh, spring and summer, I'm pretty much, well, I call it summer because my, my fall starts in July. But, uh, yeah, I kind of... Uh, I dedicate that to the family and stuff since I'm gone so often in fall and and, uh, and winter. Anyway, so sheep season. Yeah, you guys had a pretty stellar um, stellar uh, camp out there. You guys did well. You know, it was uh, yeah, it was it was it was an interesting year for sure. Um, I, I had a general season hunter in unit 15d and unit 15d is in region three it's the northwest part of the state up near kingman arizona and um, i had a, had a general season hunter up there uh, also last uh, january i was fortunate a good friend of mine and, and client of mine had purchased the arizona uh, auction sheep tag uh, mm-hmm. and um, so i had both of those uh, sheep hunts to look forward to and um, the the 15D hunt uh, was bittersweet for me in that uh, our herd up there has caught pneumonia, and mm. virtually all of those 15 units, um, the sheep were experiencing anywhere from a 50 to an 80 to 90 percent death loss. And I, I knew that in October I was up there. My client actually uh, flew in and went up there for three days with me when they were doing their, uh, Arizona Game and Fish was doing their aerial surveys. And I knew the first afternoon that we glassed where I went to a spot where normally I would see 40 to 50 sheep or more, and we only saw like eight. I knew, I I didn't say it right then, but in my heart I was sick because I knew that the reports, you know, I kind of had my blinders on thinking, oh, well, there's still a ton of sheep. And and they ended up flying 203 sheep, but, you know, the three years prior, I believe they flew over 580. Um, so we've lost a bunch of sheep up there. Um, and, you know, it usually, that pneumonia usually affects the, uh, the young and the old first. And we saw a lot of kind of middle age, kind of that, uh, 
four, five, six-year-old sheep, um, did not see a lot of older age-class rams, and didn't see we we uh, didn't see any lambs. Uh, mm-hmm. They only flew two two lambs on the survey, and this is 15D, where Dar and I have been fortunate to guide the several general season hunters that guide those um, uh, Arizona Super Big Game raffle hunters. And, you know, Claude Warren shot his, you know, the largest Nelson I ever harvested in the state of Arizona in 15D. And, you know, it went 185 and three-eighths gross. And um, we've just had a lot of success with with big rams um, in 15D. And to see it, you know, get hit hard with pneumonia is is definitely um, a little bit hard to take for sure. And then with the auction tag, um, you know, that was in 2014, Dar and I were fortunate to, to be guiding the auction hunter, and uh, the Arizona Desert Outfitters guys had sent us some photos of a ram that they nicknamed Curly uh, over in the western deserts of, of Arizona. And um, we, we didn't end up going after the ram in 14. Uh, but the ram made it through 2015, and I actually sent some photos uh, that were right off the Internet, uh, right off Facebook that those guys had posted, and I sent it to a, a friend of mine, a client, uh, right before I was headed coos deer hunting, and I said, I'm going to be gone, but um, mm-hmm. is this ram something you're interested in? I said, I, it's still alive. It made it through the 15 season. I said, I've never seen this ram in person, but if, you know, if it's something of interest, I just figured it, and it, you know, it had their logo and everything all over the picture. I wasn't like trying to say the picture was mine. Sent it to him. He obviously, it, it, it was an interest to him, and um, he, he bid the tag up and was the successful bidder, and, and um, he bought the tag, and, and so kind of made the game plan to get uh, Arizona Desert Outfitters involved and, and figuring that, you know, Dar and I could go find the ram, but, you know, they had already invested a bunch of work into the ram and a bunch right. of time, and we thought the best thing to do would be, you know, to form a partnership of, of uh, using their talents uh, and expertise and, and, and trying to track that ram down. So um, nobody had really seen the ram with their eyes. Uh, it was flown um, in the survey uh, in uh, 2014, they didn't fly in 15, um, or it might have been in 14 or 13. They flew it. Um, the, the Arizona Game of Fish actually had some pictures from the aerial, but no one had really seen the ram. And a bunch of guys had trail camera pictures, but he was kind of a ghost, and he lived uh, on a nearby reservation and would come on and off and rarely spent time on public land. And um, Kind of a fast forward of the story, uh, last spring a, a guy named Ray Alt, who's a sheep nut, he won the Ishii Award, uh, Pope and Young Ishii Award in 1970, I believe, just a, just a sheep nut, but a bow hunter, uh, older, older gentleman, just a just sheep guru, he uh, spends the winters um, uh, in quartzite looking at sheep and just enjoying the sunshine out of Montana, he actually found the ram and... Um, Text me and said I, I found the ram and th- that was kind of in the evening and I I left and went that next morning. We looked all day and the ram was gone. We couldn't find him. So I said I'm going to go back. To, I'm going to go back to Phoenix and uh, went back to Phoenix. And the next morning around nine o'clock, he texts me says I found him again. So darn, I picked up. We drove down there and and um, saw the ram. We're able to get some incredible photos and videos of the ram and. 
And, um, you know, everyone was excited because in my mind this ram is, uh, you know, we knew size-wise he was going to be a nice ram, but more than anything, I think he's a one in a million. I think he's um, probably the most unique ram ever shot in the state of Arizona. That's obviously super, my opinion. Super cool looking. Yeah, super and cool so looking it, w- it was cool to actually get to see him, and I, w- I got some great video and photos and um Anyway, those those guys at Arizona Desert Outfitters um, ended up going, uh, I believe, the next day or two days later, and they saw him and got some good photos. And then they worked all summer to try and keep track of him. And, you know, just to shorten the story up, um, the Ram finally presented himself uh, in December. Uh, well, back up, August 15th, uh, the, the Ram was found. Uh, or 14th, the day before the season, but the hunter couldn't make it in due to his schedule. Uh, then uh, sep- September 30th was the next day, the Ram, Dar, and, and Eric. Uh, I was there but did not see him. I was on the other side of the mountain. They got some great video of him. And then, again, the hunter's schedule was just so um, piled up with stuff, he couldn't make it in. And so the next time he was spotted, I believe, was uh, mid-December. And um, fortunately... Uh, the, the other hunter, the general season hunter in that unit had filled, and um, uh, the, the hunter was able to fly in uh, in the evening and came in the next morning, and it was one of those things where everything just worked absolutely perfect, and um, the ram was just feeding, and he was able to basically get in front of him with his bow, and, and the ram was kind of just feeding head down and, you know, progressing in one direction, and the hunter was able to, you know, basically cut him off and made a great bow shot at 25 yards and, sure. uh, in my mind, harvested the most unique ram uh, to ever be harvested. I think that this, the other ram that's ever bit as unique is the, the Greg Coons ram, the pickup ram that I believe is mm-hmm. like 201 or it's just a giant, has 15 and 6-inch, six 6-8-inch six bases, but um, that was obviously a pickup. Uh, mm-hmm. But this ram, this curly ram, the Arizona Desert Outfitters guy's nickname Curly, I think he's the, the most unique ram ever harvested in the state of Arizona. So, you know, it was a, it was a good ending. It was great for the state of Arizona, I think, to, to, to you know, have that ram harvested. Um, he, he ended up being 13 years old, um, which wow. is the oldest ram I've ever been a part of. And... Um, you know, the, my general season hunter in 15D, he killed a, a, a 10-year-old ram. Um, so it, it, it was just a, a good year for old sheep uh, for me. Uh, Dar didn't actually have a client for sheep. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it was, it was great. It was a, the auction hunt was a great team effort with Arizona Desert Outfitters and um, with Dar and I. And, um, yeah, it's... Uh, it was a, it was a good year, and and I saw you had some success uh, on your hunt. Were able to kill your ram with a bow, so that's awesome. Yeah, um, it was kind of a a weird thing. It's all right. So I, I saw from the beginning. Basically, when I put in for that hunt, I really put in for that unit because I knew I had a chance of drawing something there. Uh, and I didn't look into it all that hard, um, and mainly because I'm not a, I'm not a, what you would call a trophy hunter. 
So, like, I knew there was good sheep there, and I knew there was a lot of opportunity. And typically when I put in for hunts, I put in for opportunity, Just mainly because I have to make, I have to make videos, I have to make, uh, you know, TV show episodes and all that stuff. Um, so I'm always trying to draw, you know, trying to draw as many tags as I possibly can. And so when I put in for it, I, I didn't really take into consideration the YPG. And the YPG is the Yuma Proving Grounds, which is a military base down there for those of you do, who do not know listening. Um, you cannot film on the YPG. And the YPG takes up like 90% of the unit, if not more. And the rest is made up of BLM land and a little bit of um, forest service where there's a wilderness area. Um, but the sheep, all the really big sheep occupy the YPG or deep in this wilderness area. And that wilderness area is really, it's kind of a tough gig. You got to be really set up for it and have, and have the time to really do some scouting or have a way to access it from the Colorado River, in my opinion. Just because you can't really camp there. I mean, it, you can't really camp there effectively because you have to camp on the adjacent BLM. And because of the rules of the YPG, it's just, it's not, it's kind of a logistical nightmare. Let's just put it that way. Um, so I had already did like, I don't know, two months worth of scouting on YPG and found myself some good rams. Um, I had one that was probably in the 170s that was really, really good. And I can never get any good video of them or good pictures of them. I just, you know, like every time I would see them, I was far enough away that it wasn't worth me trying to get it through my binos and I didn't have a spotting scope. But I can, you know, I knew what kind of a ram he was. Um, and... Then I turn around and find out that I couldn't video. So here I am already kind of burned up most of my time to scout, spending it in other places where I really couldn't hunt. But I, it was a must for me, like, to get it on film. It's part of what I do. Um, yeah, could I have gone and just gone and shot it? And, you know, I mean, there's hunts that I that I go on and we don't catch things on film and everything. But this is something, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I wanted to be able to go back. I want to be able to share it with my family, share it with my friends. Um, and, and the only way I know how to do that, other than telling the story, is being able to show them. And so I started um, looking into all those outskirt areas, and I started finding good sheep, but I never really found any real giants. There was a couple class four rams in there. Uh, I was also part of the, you know, I, I was invited uh, down when they did the flyover. That unit, too, actually suffered about a 30% loss, um, die off, and, uh, and I think they were saying it was mostly younger, younger stuff was dying because the older rams, they had found quite a few class four rams, um, and there was maybe one or two class four rams in the areas that I can hunt. Um, I was never really able to pick them up. Um, I had I had caught a glimpse of, of him one day. It was a, a big ram that we called Old Yellow. 
Uh, got a picture of him from real far away. Probably a, a, a 160-ish Ram, but he was, I think, a 10-year-old Ram, uh, based on what I could tell from his rings. Um, anyway, long story short, the hunt comes. Um, I had like 40 people that said they wanted to help me out, and every one of them bailed. I had my my close friends come with me. Uh, I had Jake Domrez and uh, Chad Roberts actually came out that afternoon that I shot, shot my ram, and he was with me the, uh, the afternoon before. Um, and uh, I had my, my cameraman, Levi, and I had a couple guys, you know, John Bingham stepped up and he uh, lent me his, his, uh, his ranger. But other than that, oh, everybody else that was like, oh, yeah, you know, I want to come down and glass, oh, I want to come down and be a part of your show, and da-da-da-da-da. And I was kind of, I was almost overwhelmed. I was like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy. I'm going to have guys looking all over the place and, you know. So when it came down to it, I started feeling this pressure because I was like, now it's just, it's just me and Jake, basically, and Levi. And then when Chad gets off of work, yeah, he can come out and help for a couple hours. So it was starting to, like, feel like, uh, how can I explain this? You, you get a once-in-a-lifetime tag, and you start having these, like, visions. You want it to be epic, you know, because it's once-in-a-lifetime. You're never going to do it again. You want it to be epic. You get all these visions of you, like, standing over this giant sheep that you just killed with your bow and, you know, and all this, like, all these delusions of grandeur turn, start turning into stress because, you know, for one, I'm in the public eye. Um, two, again, like I said, it's a once-in-a-lifetime tag, so you want it. You just want it. You almost force it like you want it to be this epic thing. And um, I think it kind of ruined it for me because I got I got a little trigger itchy, you know. And you warned me about that when we first talked about going shit. <laughs> and... It was like, you know, the combination of all that pressure and, and the fact that I had three guys that were like, oh, man, no, he's a, you know, he's a 160 sheep. He's a 160 sheep. He's a 160 sheep. And that was kind of my benchmark. I kind of wanted something. Actually, my benchmarks were this. I wanted to get it on film. I wanted to do it with the bow. And I wanted him to be at eight years old or, or, or older. Um, and I, and I succeeded in those three things. So I, I'm not, believe me, I'm not disappointed in the sheep that I shot. I was just disappointed that I didn't take the time. I mean, I got it done in three days. Yeah. I had set aside the whole month. Um, I had a lot of time to hunt. My wife was prepared, you know, for me not being there. And I just, uh, I was just upset that I ended the adventure too early. You know, it's one of those things, I think when we talked earlier, it's one of those things that I see it year after year after year, and it's one of those things that I I see a continual habit uh, forming, and it's the the thing about the people calling and saying, oh, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to glass, and I'm going to do this and that, I can tell you from experience, that doesn't happen. Almost Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten, not just from you know, just people I know telling me the same story you just told me is when you draw a sheep tag, everyone's all excited and they all say they're going to help you, but the reality is they're not. So yeah. for those listening out there that draw their tags next year, 
take what you hear and listen that you know John's experience is something that I I've heard over and over and over and that it's there's you know no hard feelings against these people that promised oh, no, that they were going to yeah. come out but um, it's just an, I think it's human nature that they're excited for you and they say they're going to you know come help but the reality is don't ever tell someone you're going to come hunt or help and hunt with them and then don't do it ever yeah i i, I think i think you're better off saying I would like to come help, and if my schedule allows it, I'll come help when I can, but don't count on me because I know other circumstances where guys literally counted on their buddies and then their buddies never showed. And let's face it, everybody's busy, and everybody mm-hmm. has to prioritize you know, this hunt and that hunt and being away and you know, the kid's right. schedule and the wife's schedule and you know, the work Absolutely. schedule and everything else. Um, but for some reason with sheep, I see it more times than not that, you know, 30 people say they're going to be there and literally it usually turns down to one or maybe two people come at all. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, you saying that doesn't surprise me at all. And then the other part about you feeling a little bit like you achieved your goals of wanting to get it on video and you wanted it to be eight years old and you wanted to shoot it with your bow, I hear not the same goals, but I hear it from sheep hunters all the time that they're saying it didn't last long enough. And, you know, I think in some circumstances, I think guys feel, they feel all of those outside pressures Mm -hmm. and they feel all those outside responsibilities. And then when they get uh, a chance to have, you know, a ram in front of them and it, and it meets their quote-unquote criteria that they mm-hmm. go ahead and just, and, and, and you know, harvest and, and, and be done. But most guys I hear say, man, I wish it would have lasted longer or I wish I would have hunted longer. Not that they're not happy with what they got. Um, it's just more of a function of, you know, maybe they got excited, and I'm not, yeah. not specific. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking in general. What I see is guys, you know, maybe they do some scouting and don't see a lot of sheep, or or get there a few days before the hunt starts, and you know, have a couple of days where they don't see any sheep. And so as soon mm-hmm. as they see a decent ram, they feel like I'm not going to fill my tag unless I kill this ram, and I better just kill it because most we talked in the prior podcast this summer that most sheep hunts last two days. I mean, they very rarely go over two days. And I would encourage people listening to try and go in with the mentality of, I want to see every ram in the unit. Now it's a Mm -hmm. challenge when, you know, you're talking like 43B in the unit where you drew when there's, you know, what is there, seven other tags? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you may find two or three great rams, and one of the challenges is you don't know if those rams got killed. I mean, it, right. with social media and everything, yeah, some of the pictures get posted and you can be like, well, that ram's dead and that ram's dead. But how about some of the rams that maybe guys aren't even on social media and you don't, you know, you could spend the next three weeks looking for a ram that's, you know, on, on its way back to, you know, Pine Top or, or um, Page, Arizona, and you don't yeah. even know the person. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it... It's it's easy for me to say, you know, look over every ram and try and shoot the one you want. But when you're dealing with multiple tag, you know, multiple 
guys in the unit with the same tag, it's hard to get your heart set on one ram because he may be in the back of a pickup truck, you know, headed down I-10. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, all those things play. I mean, heck, even even one of the fish and game officers actually had that tag. The guy, uh, I can't remember his name now, but... Uh, Scott Fisher. Yeah, Scott Fisher. Thank you. He yeah. had the same yeah. tag. So you know he's got intel and, and and he was on that you know he was on the you know on the flyover and all that stuff so you know you know at least one of those good rams is gone and i don't know like i said most of it had came down to the fact that i couldn't film on the ypg and my only other option was the blm and that wilderness area the wilderness area really for me wasn't a great option i just it required a lot of planning that I wasn't prepared to do when I found out. Um, and, you know, I knew I wanted to bow hunt it, too, and that, that country's really crappy bow hunting. Rifle hunt, yeah, maybe it would have been, uh, you know, it's a very doable thing, you know, especially if you could shoot a couple hundred yards. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, you know, one of the I things... Sorry to interrupt you, John. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I'm good. Go ahead. One of the things I was going to point out, um, my 15D hunter was an archery hunter, and he, he wanted to do it with his bow, and he was from Texas, and he didn't even bring a rifle. And mm-hmm. he said, Jay, we're doing this with a bow. I don't want to use radios. I don't want to have, I w- I don't want to have radio contact. I want to be able to, if I shoot it, I want to enter it in the book. And he said, so I don't want to use radios. I need to use hand signals. And, you know, I'm like, well, Travis, this is going to be a challenge because, you know, this is big, big country. And, if you know, what's our signal for you blown the stock, come back to me? Or, you know, what's the, what's the, the signal for, you know, there's another hunter closing in on the ram. Just go ahead and come back, you know, and we'll go make a new plan. And so that – that in itself created challenges. But one of the things I was going to point out, and it, it's funny because I laughed, is this elk season I used those um, – back at the ISE show in the spring, Dar and I were walking around the aisles, and there was a company called Sneak Tech. And mm-hmm. I started talking to the owner or whatever, and anyway, I walked out of there with a pair of Sneak Tech um, – uh, I don't know what you would classify boots. them as, but boots, they're, that, they're boots, like these yeah. little slippers that go over your boots, and they've got like one and a half inch of non-memory foam. Well, fast forward the story, I told my hunter in 15D, I said, you need to get a pair of these Sneak Tech, um, bo- you know, Sneak boots, Tech yeah. um, boots, and I went on the website to give them the website, and there's your ugly mug on the <laughs> website with the, with the sneak tech. So I started laughing, but speaking about those sneak tech, he commented how incredibly quiet, and I noticed that elk season when I wore them. I mean, you, they're amazing, and I would encourage. I've got no oh, yeah. affiliation with the company. Um, I don't get paid by the company, but those things are unbelievable, and they fit right over your boots. And I've used a lot of those um, kind of sneaky feet type type of things. Um, but these, the durability and then mm-hmm. that, that foam that they use is amazingly quiet. And then they have those, you can either use a, le- a leathered, uh, they're, they're like covered in a leather 
or yeah, like they're covered suede. in in a in a or it's a suede, and then there's a uh, like a Berber, and yeah. the Berber, yes, it picks up you know burrs and stuff of the desert, but it's amazingly quiet, and I would go with the Berber quiet. covered, and and you can actually get replacement Berber that snaps yeah. on and off, and um, it's funny though. I went on, I'm like, I think it's Sneak Tech, and I kept spelling it wrong, and it's it's yeah. S N E E K. And then there's your face on it. I just cracked up. I'm like, <laughs> this is the website, and there's your mug on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I started using those guys. Uh, they used to be called Sneak Easy um, a couple years ago, and I used them for a whole season. Actually, they sent me a pair. A buddy of mine sent me a pair to product test. And after I product tested it, and that's kind of how I work. I find stuff that I like first before I, you know, associate myself with them. I don't just associate myself, myself with people for money and free stuff. It, nobody pays me enough money to do that. So um, basically, I, I used them for a season. I had tremendous success with them. I'm not an inherently sneaky person. Um, you know, I could be... I could be quiet, but I'm I, I kind of a little bit um, impatient, and I, I move a little too quick. And sometimes that, well, more times than not, that screws me over. <laughs> but I started using these, and, and wow, just they're they're a game changer. I I, I mean yeah. I tell everybody they're a game changer. I I've, I've sent out a bunch to my friends and family, and, and um, yeah, so. Once I knew that I loved them, I, I said, "Hey, listen, I love these things." And they were like, you know, so they brought me on board, and uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. And, and there's just some up a couple other ones out there that are good products, and but these are just, especially here in the desert, ridiculous, ridiculous yeah. how quiet they are. They quiet everything down, um, and I've used them everywhere. The only thing um, where I, I found that you really can't use them. Um, is I had them with me on my Ibex hunt, and, I, and it was a little annoying because I had kept having to take them off when I had to do some like, seri serious yeah. climbing and stuff like that. Um, so those are, that's where the only drawback to them is. But, geez, if you have, you know, moderate to, you know, any kind of rolling hills or, you know, moderate, moderate um, steepness, rocks, gravel, you know, anything like that, it's just, it's amazing. They're so quiet. Yeah, I mean, Travis commented when it got real steep, you know, they would just, it, it didn't have good traction, and, and it's yeah. kind of a trade-off. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought they were, you know, when I wore them elk season, I thought they were really, really good. Yeah. So are you, um, so you're happy you got them with your bow, and you're, you know, you got them on film, and, and was it, is it a good video? I haven't seen it. I haven't put the video out yet. Uh, I'm going to be releasing it as a film. Um, I don't know if I'm going to put it in or try to put it in the full and draw a film tour or something like that. Uh, but I'm definitely not going to. I'm not going to release it as a regular episode. It's going to be a film for sure. Uh, yeah, the footage is good. We got it from two angles. Um, I mean, I shot him. He runs ten yards, stops, wobbles, and tumbles down the hill. So it was pretty cool. Um, it, you know, it, it was a really great experience. It was a crazy day. Um, I mean, we spotted him first thing in the morning. Um, 
he was running with a sheep that I actually missed one the day before. So there was this one sheep. And this is the other thing that's kind of screwed me over is because he was running with the one class four ram that I was aware of in that area um, that um, Richard Myers from Fish and Game uh, actually helped me locate early on in the season back in like July or August. And uh, I had I had watched him kind of all summer and and whatnot. I missed him at well when I first ranged him up. I forgot if he was like at he was at sixty five yards, and then I drew back and he caught caught my movement and whatever, and he kind of ran up a little bit higher, and I just misjudged and I shot under him. Um, I didn't I didn't let down and rearrange him. Um, Anyway, so I missed him, and he was with the ram that I killed uh, the next day. And they were side-by-side, side and side-by-side, side, my sheep in the binos. Now that I go back and look at the video, I could tell that Old Yellow was bigger than my sheep. But side-by-side side in the binos, my sheep looked bigger. And it was just super deceiving. And I made the decision to shoot him instead of Old Yellow. Um, you know, what was it that got you in the configuration? Was it a much more open curled ram? Um, were the bases bigger on the other one, or what? What? What threw it over? He the looked. Top? He looked like he carried his mass the whole way. And the the ram you shot, or the the other ram? The ram that I shot looked like he carried his mass more more further down. You know, um, yeah. and he wasn't broomed off at all. I mean, a couple of inches, maybe two, three inches on each side, it would maybe broomed off. Where, where yellow, he he was broomed off on both sides. He had some serious heavy bases, and I, I now I, I go back and it makes me sick because I look at the video and I'm like, shit, you know, I shot a 150 inch ram and I could have shot a 160 inch ram. Um, well, I, I I think that's important to point out because you know it's a, everything's a learn you know learning process, and I think. With sheep, it's 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 hard sometimes to comprehend or to compute at the time that you know mass is sixty percent of your score, and mm -hmm. you know take even for instance like this curly ram, this auction tag ram, you know he looks like he carries his mass down low really really well. One of the things you've got to watch is rams that look like they carry their mass down low. You first thing that red flag that has to pop up is because he looks like he carries his mass so well down low, maybe his bases are not that big. And so that, that's always one thing that jumps out at me is when you see rams that carry really good down low or what you think is really good, a lot of times those are rams that their bases are not much uh, bigger than the mass down on the third quarter. Mm -hmm. So... Sometimes those big rams, you you know, you got you got to start with big bases. Very, there's very few big rams that don't have big bases, and I think that auction right. ram Curly is a perfect example. You know, his bases were 13 and 6 eighths. You know, that's what the game and fish got is 13 and 6 eighths on the bases. Well, I I I did a bunch of research on the Arizona game and fish. You know, prior to um, you know the harvest of of Curly and you could, it was you were hard pressed to find an eight plus year old ram that didn't have at least fifteen or excuse me, 
over 14-inch bases. There, it was it was virtually impossible to find rams that were eight plus years old out of that unit or surrounding units that had smaller than 14-inch bases. So, you know, every little detail counts, and I haven't seen the video, um, but. You know, obviously, if you can say looking back, the other one had bigger bases, and and but yours looked like it carried its mass. It's it's a common mistake, I think, that it's easy to make in the fact that, you know, maybe he had a tighter curl and had more curl, and so you it. think his horn horn lengths are longer, but then his mass, what he looks like, carries it down low, translate into his bases actually aren't that big, and I, you know, you're not the first person to make that mistake. At all. Well, that was the thing. His bases were 13 and 2 eighths. Yeah, and so right there, the reason his mass looked big down low is because his bases weren't big. And I don't know if the other ram got harvested, um, no, but no. For, for those out there listening, when they're trying to judge rams, when you see one that looks heavy down low, and when I say down low, I'm talking down in the second and third quarter, or when you're looking at the sheep out from the tips about 8 or 10 to 12 inches back from the tip of the horn going back towards, um, you, you know, the, pet, the, the base, um, you've you got to watch that you don't have a small base sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the part that kills you because you, it's not like you can say, well, next time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no but I mean, time. you you got it with a bow and you got it on film and it was, <laughs> you know, you wanted one that was over eight years old. So, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that that alone is, you know, that's a su- success. Not many people shoot oh, yeah. their sheep with a bow. So, I mean, that that's, you know, that's... Uh, and, and according to the fishing game down there, nobody shoots it with a bow. That yeah, particular I mean, unit, that particular unit, nobody shoots it with a bow, and I, that was kind of even more the reason why I wanted to do it. The bows, he's like, he's like, they said that. I think they checked in one bow kill in the last five years. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that is the fact that there's seven tags in that unit, and you know, to to think that you would carry a bow, when someone can just shoot it right out from under you with a rifle. Yeah, you know, you might have been better off to wait a week and not even go hunt. Let all the rifle hunters kill using the, you know, the the um, the facts of that most hunts are over within you know two days, and then you could go down there and have the whole unit to yourself with a bow. But the challenge is, or you know, mentally, you're you're going to sit at home while everybody else is out there hunting and you know, ultimately you might have had a better experience and not felt as much pressure. But I think it's hard when you're hunting in units that have multiple tags to to not want to, you know, get get your ram killed. And, yeah. you know, s- certainly if you fall in love with a ram or, um, you know, there's, there's uh, two rams that you really want to kill, you want to get, you know, you want to get your ram on the ground. And that's, that's human nature. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. But... No, I mean, it was a great experience. I was starting to, before I went off on a tangent, to tell you the story. So we spotted him early in the morning. He was with the other sheep. Um, you know, long story short, I was, the stalk was, all, it was an all-day stalk. Uh, we got kind of pinned down uh, because there was a lot more sheep that weren't really there at first, and they kind of came into the area and ended up bedding down, and I couldn't, 
approach the sheep in any angle, and they kind of just laid there all day, and, you know, get up and see the little lay back back down. And finally, um, Chad Roberts shows up, and, you know, he joins, uh, actually his dad was with us at that point. Also, uh, Jordan's, his dad, Buddy, and, and Jake Thomas was glassing for me and uh, talking me in on the radio. I used radios. Uh, and Levi and I, my cameraman, were down on stock. We were down there all day. And then uh, Chad shows up, and he had an idea. He came and showed me a picture. We actually back, backed out, you know, came back out probably 2,000 yards or something like that to meet up with, uh, I was about 1,000 yards, and then to meet up with Chad in his bottom, and he showed me the picture. And then uh, he actually fortified what I wanted to do because from what I can tell from where I was at. So uh, we went back in there, and he actually came with me on the stalk, um, and uh, we were able to kind of slip around, and uh, I ended up getting a 44-yard shot and took it and the rest is history now, so. Good but, for you. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It, you know, the, the adventure and the stock being all day and kind of being uh, one of those that you'll talk about for a long time, it kind of made up for some of the, you know, not not being, not hunting for the whole month and whatnot, but, um, yeah, you know, all in all, it's awesome. Um now I'm just banging my head to figure out how I could go sh- uh, sheep hunting somewhere else. Hopefully, I got enough points somewhere else eventually. I'll draw. <laughs> but um, or or if I make enough money, I'll go down to Mexico and shoot one down there. I guess. Well, it sounds Let's like see. you need to be looking at doll sheep hunting next. Um, you know, it's probably the the most affordable. Um, yeah. You know, you've already got your desert, so maybe start focusing towards doll and you know the. Those are really neat animals, and certainly something that I want to hunt one of these days. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll I'll pull in uh, uh, an Omer, and I'll draw back to back sheep tags. <laughs> you know, it's, my... it's possible. <laughs> you know, you know, Randy's nephew did that a couple of years ago. He got his yeah. desert sheep, and the next year he got his he got his uh, Rocky in Arizona. It it can definitely happen. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. So how's so, the podcast going, man? Uh, you know what? It's been growing leaps and bounds. Um, I'm I'm really, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Honestly, I'm enjoying it more than the, the show just because I like the interaction. Um, and, you know, before for, I, I, I've been doing the podcast for, this is going to be my eighth season now, but it was only available to the people who had a hunting channel membership. So I was talking to a much smaller audience. Um, my, there was no real like interaction. So now like, you know, I get people on, you know, hit me up on, on the podcast website, they, you know, on Facebook and, and so on and so forth. And they send in more questions and it's kind of a, it's just nice. It's different. I like it. It's, um, Awesome. It's a it's a hell of a lot easier to do. I can tell you that than, than making TV shows. It's <laughs> a lot. It's a lot less expensive uh, too. <laughs> I, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, maybe one of these days, uh, 
I'll get I'll get as big as you on on in podcasting, and then, uh, and then I won't do my TV show anymore. <laughs> well, I, that's mighty kind of you, but um, yeah, I, I enjoy it too. It's um, it's a blessing to be able to you know help people, and um, you know I enjoy the interaction as well. And it seems like I learn something every episode, so uh, it's a oh, lot yeah. of fun. It's good to see podcasts and other podcasts uh, sprouting up and. Uh, people having success, and I think with the new vehicles uh, coming out that, uh, you know, we'll have direct access to podcasts right on the radio dial. Um, it's going to yeah. be huge, and, and, you know, I think one of the biggest things that's made podcasts so successful in the last year or two is the fact that now mobile phones, you know, you can download and, and listen to virtually any podcast right on your mobile phone, whereas um, yeah. Before that technology, it was kind of a challenge to, you know, where do you listen from? You know, what device? How do you how do you listen to them? And you know, with with iTunes and you, you know um, some of these different platforms that host these um, podcasts, I think it's real easy for people to um, tune in. And I think more and more, you know, I I think that I'm one of the guys that thinks you know the TV will be non-existent someday, and I think everyone will be watching their quote-unquote TV, they'll be watching their shows on their mobile devices, on their iPads, mm-hmm. and I think the, you know, the, the desktop computer is going away, um, and I think the computer sales, the PC sales across the world are showing that. I think the television sales across the world are showing that, and, um, you know, so it's, it's definitely, I, I don't even think we've hit the tip of the iceberg, or we're not even close to see where, um, you know, podcasting can go. And quite honestly, it's just radio. It's just a different form of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting, and I'm happy to see you uh, doing well. And, Thank yeah, you. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, I don't know. If you, have you ever catch, caught any of the uh, live podcasts that I do? That's kind of uh, mm-hmm. something I've been no. I haven't. Um, I haven't seen any of the live podcasts. You mean like Facebook Live? Yeah, we do live podcasts on Facebook Live, um, and they've been uh, very well. We usually put together a panel of guys at that point. Um, you know, I did one. The first one we did, I had uh, Joel Turner. I had uh, Marlon uh, Holden, or Graylight, as most people know him. Um, we had Chad Roberts, Tony Kacharin, and uh, Charles Whitman, and... Uh, you know, we had a panel of guys. We had people, you know, texting in and commenting in their questions, and it was kind of a cool gig. And I did a couple more. I did another one with Eddie, Eddie Claypool and uh, Jared Bluegren. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a couple here coming after, um, probably in February, end of February. I'll start doing some live ones again. I think it's a great, great tool and great interaction, and people uh, really enjoyed it. Um, so maybe next time I do one, I'll. I'll bring you on. That's one awesome, of my panel buddy. guests. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, you going to the ATA show? You know what? I was. Uh, a couple of the companies that I, uh, you know, uh, I represent uh, asked me to come down. And you know what? I got, I got this beer that I'm trying to kill right now. And if I, if I go another year without killing them, I'm going to be, I'm going <laughs> to pull my hair out. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to any of the shows. I canceled ATA and shot. I'm, I'm just not. 
I have I have no desire right now to go rub elbows with anybody and try to drum up sponsorship or any of that stuff. My brain is solely on hunting mule deer right now. And then I have um, <laughs> I have a guy uh, Brett Bastian who won my uh, free hunt giveaway, uh, Cousier hunt giveaway. So he's going to be coming down in a couple of weeks. I think he gets here on the twentieth. So I'm going to be taking him Cousier hunting. Um, so you know that that kind of messed me up a little bit with uh, with show season. Um, but I'd much rather be doing that than can go to show. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like going to shows. I like seeing the new stuff. I like you know, uh, talking with my peers and whatnot. Um, but you're going to ask me if I'd rather do that than go hunting. <laughs> yeah, I totally you know, get yeah. it. You know, for me, one of the the biggest dilemmas is, you know, typically Dara and I, this year's a little different because we had those young guys that wanted to hunt during Christmas break, but normally we're doing our cooster hunts, our guided cooster hunts in Mexico during the rut, and that usually, you know, the sheep show in Reno, I haven't been able to go because it always falls during when we're down in Mexico. And yeah. um, so that's, that's a show that I would like to go to, but I always have to miss because of, of cooster season. Um, and we're, we're headed down here next week to go back for our second hunt. So we're excited about that rut hunt down there. Um, but this year, uh, I went last year to the SEI convention in Vegas and um, it's just an awesome show. I mean, you've got guys mm-hmm. from all over the world, and, you know, when you go to a show like SCI, if, if, if the listeners out there have not been to SCI, the SCI convention, I highly recommend it because that you have basically every walk of life that is a hunter. Um, and they're hunting stuff that I've never even heard of. And the second that we start thinking, you, you know, you, you – you come from where we do with our backgrounds and what have you, and then you go into a place like that and realize that all these other guys and gals that are there exhibiting have just the same passions that we do, and they're hunting animals that we've never even heard of. And, we, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, oh, well, if it's not an elk, you know, North American right. elk or, you know, a Rocky Mountain bighorn or a coos deer, I'm not interested. Well, if you lived in some of these places where these people do, you would probably be hunting and stoked about chamois or, or tar or, um, oh, yeah. you, you know, some of the animals that, that you would never even think about going and hunting. But since that's where they're from, you know, I, I, I've spent, uh, I've been over to Swarovski three times in Austria and, and um, mm-hmm. had the fortune of doing that. And, you know, they're fired up about their red deer. Well, I know yeah. nothing about red deer, so it, it. But when you go to a convention like Safari Club International and get to see all of the exhibitors, you realize how big hunting is, and you realize how, you know, the world that we live in, in our local world, we think is, you know, you, you know, you have all your preconceived notions, and then you go to a place that's a global and you realize how awesome of a sport that we're involved in, and it's just so great to rub elbows with, with you know, your peers and people, that, and meet people and, you know, talk about crocodiles and stuff that, you know, never even imagined or dreamed of hunting, um, but to see the passion that they have for it, it's awesome. Um, and then I'm going to the NWTF. I, I missed it last okay. year because it's always it's always the same time as the uh, Western 
uh, Hunting and Conservation Expo in Utah. And last year, I actually didn't go to NWTF in Nashville. I went to Salt Lake um, to that uh, Western Hunting Expo, and that was great. But um, I'm, I'm headed back to NWTF mid-February. I'm a turkey nut, and um, it would be great to see all a bunch of my friends and um, meet a bunch of new people and and um, it's you know sixty a gathering of sixty to seventy thousand turkey nuts and um, so those are the two shows that I'm going to um, mm-hmm. upcoming here and then uh, for me it'll just be you know trying to twiddle my thumbs and until uh, turkey season starts at the end of March so um, yeah kind of February is my my down month and. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I, I love this time of year with the with the you know the January coos deer rut, and um, I don't spend any time hunting Arizona with a bow just because I'm primarily down in Mexico hunting coos deer during the rut. So it's it's something that Dar and I really really love. So well, you got a week to do it, man. <laughs> yep, we're we're excited to get down there, and then I'm gonna hunt myself afterwards. Um, and uh, on a on a different ranch myself, so I'm I'm, right. I'm excited. That's cool. I just get to do yeah. a little hunting yourself. I, you know it that's is. What, it one is. thing about guiding that's always like bothered me, um, and I, you know, I haven't uh, I haven't guided in years. So I used to guide hunts back east. Um, it's a different kind of guiding than hunting, hunting out here. At least you get to kind of hunt with the guy when you're out here. Guiding back east is more like sitting dropping people off. Um, yeah that you don't get to hunt for yourself that much. Yeah, for that sure. Would, I that, mean, would drive, that would drive me nuts. <laughs> for me, guiding originally, guiding, you know, I got into guiding so that I could actually hunt more and and um, meaning be out in the field more. And mm-hmm. then as that progressed, um, you know, it, it offered opportunities to, to basically be out in the field way more than if I was just hunting myself from a standpoint of, you know, it's easy to justify being gone, you know, a mm-hmm. month at a time here and there when you're, you know, somebody's trusted you with their tag and their permit and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you're going to help them, you know, find a, a ram or a bull or a buck of their dreams. So, um, yeah, it, it's always nice to hunt uh, some of my own and, um I, I love guiding too. The right client. Um, there's nothing like guiding the right person. Um, and there's sometimes there's people that are a challenge, and you just have to grind it out and and be professional and do the best that you can. Uh, but then there's some guys that you really you know hit it off with and and you know form a bond and and a brotherhood so to speak. And so it's it's real rewarding in that regards too. Well, if you need an excuse to uh, come out for the next couple of days um, and get out in the field. I could use some uh, somebody to talk me <laughs> in on the radio to help me kill this buck. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. You know, with all of that that I just said, it's like um, as much as I am gone, the time that I do spend at home, I need to, I need to spend yeah. it at home. But I, I, oh, no, I will tell you, I just got some new um, – I just got the uh, 25 – by 50 by 65 millimeter Swarovski twin spotting scopes, and um, I love them. I I uh, 
I've, I've used the COAs since they came out for years, and I had doctors before that. And, um, you know, it, it's always bothered me with the COAs, the fact that they're an angled eyepiece and that they're, you know, 13 pounds and that, you know, you have to use a heavy-duty tripod and you have to carry a stool because of the angled eyepiece. And, um, right. you know, I've, I've had a bunch of buddies using the twin spotting scopes, and, you know, the complaints have been that, the you know, they get knocked out of collimation and, and make a long story short, uh, some friends of mine, a friend of Dar's um, out of Prescott makes this uh, adapter and, and, you know, a friend of mine, Jeremy Googlemeyer in New Mexico was telling me how much he liked this 25 by 50 wide angle eyepiece with the 65 millimeters and I started looking at it, you know, it's only 7.5 pounds and I can use my regular tripod, and I can sit on my butt. I don't have to carry a stool. So I'm looking right. at carrying like 20 pounds less, um, you know, That's huge. or more. You know, the, the, the colas are 13. The, the tripod that I use for them is 12 and the stool. So, you know, I'm looking at close to 30 pounds with that setup, and now I'm down to 7.5. And, and so this trip down in... Mexico was the first, I glassed with them for seven days and really, really like them and um, excited about using them here again next week down there and, and um, awesome. Really, really like the quality. So, yeah, it, it, it's nice for me being a, I love Swarovski. I've got basically yeah, every, every, every binocular they have. Um, I've had every spotting scope. I've got the 95 millimeter. I mean, I'm a Swarovski guy. I just believe in that company and, um, I don't think you, you know. Can I'm not. Really. I'm not saying that I'm going to get rid of the coas, but it's like, for me, the older I get, I'll be 44 next month. Um, you know, the the viability of carrying that 30 pounds of of coas up and down the hills, they've kind of been limited more to you know down on the desert flats and glassing from the bottom up. Whereas with this Swarovski setup, I think I'm going to you know be able to pack them around a lot more freely and. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting. Awesome. Yeah, no, I've I played around with colors a few times, and I, I couldn't stand them, to be honest with you. I uh, definitely wouldn't want to carry them around. And, yeah. But, you know, doing what you do, I, you know, it's kind of a necessity, especially when you got, you got guys that are spending big bucks and they are counting inches. Me, I see something that, as long as I could tell that it looks good, you know, for my 15s, I'm going to go for it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not one of those guys who are going to look at it. You're and go, an equal opportunist. Eh. <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah, he's probably 160, 170. I'm a nitpicker, and you're an equal I opportunist. <laughs> yeah, you know. I don't discriminate. <laughs> uh, I, I hear you. So, um, you know, back to the COAs real fast. I believe the COAs to be the finest long-range glass that you can buy. The, the the pros are edge to edge clarity. They're they're in my mind they're unbeatable. Where I think this setup becomes better is I can carry these everywhere, and they are very very good. I, I you know Koa have you know they're incredible, but it, you know they have an angled eyepiece, so you have to sit in a stool. Um, yeah. they I they so I guess you yeah. get used to them. I guess you yeah, I mean, it, but I, I can't do it. I know Matt Woodward uses those like he uses 15s. I mean, um, he, he doesn't use anything else. <laughs> you know? 
he'll, he'll go on a stalk wearing one of those around his neck if he could. I, but I, I, um, I know I can't do it. One, I can't stand carrying a bunch of weight. I'm just, yeah. If I don't have to carry it, I, I won't carry it. I used to carry a chair with me everywhere to glass. Now I just went back to the butt pad and yeah. that's it, you know. Trying to yeah. minimize everything. So, but, hey. Anyhow, well, thank you for coming on and uh, I'm glad we could do this, uh, you know, dual sure. uh, podcast thing here. And I'm glad I got For to, sure, uh, yeah, I'll air it on my, my podcast. Story. And, yeah, you air it on yours and congrats on harvesting your uh, sheep with your bow and, and accomplishing your goals. And, um, you know, that, that's awesome. I look forward to the day that I draw my desert sheep tag one of these days. And, um, you know, I just, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you, I'm glad you got it done the way you wanted to. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I would say, um, you know, hope you get this big buck you're after and keep after them. And, and, you know, the one thing, if you don't get them, that's one of the things that keeps us back energized yep. for next year is dreaming of those big bucks that you know we, we can't get and 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 um so sometimes it's 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 hard to swallow when you finally achieve and and harvest something that you've been after and you're like okay now what and um yeah so but uh yeah that's the passion that burns deep in us hunters for you sure. know it's trying to you know look forward to next year and chase a new buck or a new bull or a new ram absolutely all right buddy all right well uh, all right buddy take care how's it going? Take it easy.